0: Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Good morning, welcome. Welcome if you're joining us for the first time. It's good to have you here. We are in a series called Immersed in Scripture and we really want to start 2022 with a, uh, a little uh, series on a spiritual practice of reading scripture. Uh, last week, Ethan talked on the Bible being a unified story that leads to Jesus. I want to talk about this morning, God-breathed authority. I was uh, on holidays with, with my family up north uh, a couple of months ago, and I got a message on Instagram from an old friend, and he said, do you want to make... in five minutes, and so I looked at the message for a little bit wondering if it was some sort of multi-level marketing scam Uh, But I trust this guy, so I said yeah, I do want to make $400 in five minutes. He said well, I just need you to stop in on your way home at Coffs Harbour And I need you to go and meet a guy called Tony, and he'll be out the front of a abandoned warehouse And he'll lead you through the abandoned warehouse into a courtyard and in the courtyard is a black box all I need you to do, $400, pick it up, put it in your car, drive home. And so I didn't really know what to, what to do about that. But I thought at the very least it makes a good preaching story. So I said yes. <laughs> and uh, my friend, he's an audio engineer. And he was doing some work for council and noises. And was recording ambient noise or whatever. But I picked it up and we, and we took it in our car. It was this big, heavy black box. We loaded it in the car. I didn't even know how to handle it. Like, was I meant to turn it off? Is it okay to leave it in the car, in the heat, in the middle of summer? Um, and I was thinking about that black box and sometimes how we come to the Bible. The Bible is a bit of a black box sometimes that it's like this, this random invitation of a thing. Eugene Peterson has this great quote where he says, Because we can help hold the Bible in our hands, we think that we can handle it. Because we can hold the Bible in our hands, we think we can handle it. And this little collection of books, scripture, the Bible, whatever you want to call it, has actually caused a lot of harm through history with people mishandling it. It's in the name of this book that people have oppressed women. On the other side, it's the kind of being the guiding beacon. Uh, a lot of sociologists and historians will point back to the Christian movement as the first uh, beacons of equality in the world. The Bible has been used to condone, uh, to, to condone slavery. The Bible be, has been used to um, uh, say that we can, we can have slaves because there's slaves in there, but it's also been used by the abolitionists to free slaves. It's been used... Uh, by a number of people to justify wars. But it's also been used as a force of peace and justice and service. It's been a source of division. Christians love arguing over this thing and having little infights and working out who's in and who's out, who who reads this thing the right way, who reads it the wrong way. But it's also the unifying factor between 2.3 billion Christians alive in the world today, let alone the last 2,000 years. This book is a A dangerous thing, and on two extremes, on, you know, one side of the extreme, this thing, you can view this as as just a hoax, ancient nonsense, made up, it's irrelevant, we should just be done with it. On the other side, the other extreme of that is people view the scripture as something that, like, God literally wrote, it's dropped from heaven, it's a love story to me, but I think both of those extremes are actually wrong. I don't think it's a hoax, It's written 66 different books. It's a library of books written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents, yet it is one unified story that leads to Jesus as we looked at last week. It is this kind of grand narrative of ups and downs, and it's complicated and complex, and it's been translated a bunch of times, and there's different ways you can read it. It is very, very complex, but it's not a hoax but I also don't think it is dropped from heaven. It's not just like God wrote it and dropped it on our laps. It is actually more nuanced and complicated than that. And I think if we don't have a good idea of what the Bible is, like a macro view of what this thing is, how how we should think about it, then when we actually go to read it, it's really freaking confusing. It's really hard to read. It's really hard to work out what's going on. I think it's really important that we have an overarching view of what this thing is. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take the one in front of you. That's fine. Um, Page 723 in the Bible, although it's going to be on the screen, says this, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I just want to share two things from that verse. This is Scripture talking about Scripture. It's talking about itself. The Bible is talking about itself here. And it says two things. It says the Bible, number one, is God breathed. What an interesting little statement. The Bible is God breathed. And what this this little verse is inviting us to do is to think across the whole story of Scripture and work out what else is God breathed. In Genesis 2, verse 7, it gives us a little hint. It said, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life, God breathed, into the man's nostril, and the man became a living person. What else does God breathe other than the Bible? It's it's you, and it's me. It's people. It's humanity. Dust and divine. Dirt and breath heaven and earth it's this kind of like divine partnership between flesh and spirit body and spirit dust and divine what does that mean what that doesn't mean that the bible is god breathed hebrews 4 gives us another little hint it says the word of god it's another shorthand for the bible is alive and active. This thing, this book, these pages, according to the Bible, are alive. It's a living, breathing organism, which is a very strange thing to say. The theological word for that is inspired, which is like same, it comes from the same root, like respiration, inspiration, which is, harks back to the Hebrew word ruach, which means breath or spirit, God breathed, it's inspired, it's, 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 it's alive like humans are by the breath of God, this like kind of animating force in us. The Bible is God breathed, it's dust, it's written by people, there's context, it's, it's formed by communities there's certain things going on, there's letters written to people, not us written to other people, it is for us, but it's not written to us. But it's also divine, there's an element of the breath of God, the Holy Spirit at work through the pages and through the words. This collection of books is important to us because we believe it's the only book document that is alive. The Bible is God-breathed. The second one there, if you want to go back to that, yeah, that's good, sorry, yeah, um, is authority. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. What teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains? Someone in authority. The Bible actually, if you're a follower of Jesus, should have authority in our world, authority in our life. This thing has authority if you're a follower of Jesus. And, you know, we often want to come and we want to remake what the Bible is to what we think it should be. But what we should be doing as followers of Jesus is allowing it to, re- to remake us, to reshape us. So if the Bible is God-breathed and it's authority, this is really important to get because this is, I think, where a lot of Christians miss the mark. The Bible has authority in our life, but authority for what? Like, what is that authority for? It says, God-breathed, it's authority, because it teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, for training in righteousness. So it's God-breathed, it has authority, but the authority is for training in righteousness. Now, righteousness is one of those weird, churchy words you don't use anywhere else. The best translation I know that I can have of this word is right relationship. The Bible has authority in our relationships, right relationship with God, with the divine, and right relationship with our neighbors, the people around us, the people in our world. The Bible has authority in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. A lot of people want to make the Bible have authority on science or history, or um, thinking about, you know, all sorts of different things. Uh, You know, especially the first bit of the Bible, people want to get really technical about, you know, how many days of the world get made in, and how many years from the, the genealogies. The Bible is actually not meant to be a science textbook. There is science in there. It's not meant to be a history textbook. There is history in there. But what its primary authority is, the reason that we have it, is about our relationship with God and our relationship with people. That's where it has authority. Jesus said this, right? He says, The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, have a right relationship with God, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said this weird thing. He said, All the law hangs on these things. The law is a what the Hebrews would say when they're talking about this, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. It's like all of Scripture hangs on these things. Our relationship with God and our relationship with people. The Bible has authority over how we relate to God, how we relate to people. It's God-breathed, and it has authority. So, what, what should that look like, then? A lot of people, I don't know if you've heard this saying, when they're talking about the words, it's kind of more like conservative people, fundamentalist types. They say... God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I don't know if you've ever heard a saying like that. A saying like, if it's, if it's written there, then like, that, that, that's just what we've got to do. It's written, and it comes from a great place, a really healthy place, so people want to obey the authority of Scripture. But it becomes very tricky when you read verses like um, Mark chapter 16. Can you throw that up, Steve? It says, they will pick up snakes with their hands... And when you drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. So, a lot of people want to have the Bible as authority, but then when you come to a scripture like this that tells you to pick up snakes and drink poison, you've got to take a little step back and go, hang on, actually, how do we approach this thing? Do we just read it and do it? Or is there more going on? I want to teach you something about um, John Wesley. John Wesley who was a revivalist in the 1700s in the UK. And um, he started this huge revival. A lot of people came to faith. He, he, he um, was teaching the Bible, holding these big revival meetings, planning churches. Out of that came the Methodist movement, which funnily enough, this church originally was a Methodist church. So we got roots to J- John Wesley uh, right on this physical block of land. But he was a great the- theologian as well. And he came up with this thing called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Steve's going to throw this up. And he says when we think about how we approach God and other people, our theology, there's actually four things at play. When we think about how to read and shape what we think about the world, what we think about God, what we think about loving our our neighbors, Scripture, the Bible, reason, which is like our intellect, it's um, science and biology and history experience, which is our own story, our own trauma, our own, um, our, our own perception of things, our own experience, and tradition. What has the, the church done through the last 2,000 years? What are the different streams of church say? What do the Catholics say? What does the theologians theologian say? What do the scholars say? It's, it's the communal aspect of reading and forming theology together, because we don't do that in isolation, we do that as a community. Now, interestingly enough, I was thinking about this, and if you think about our culture, Western culture, it's really built on those two things, reason and experience. We've thrown away scripture, and we've thrown away tradition. We hate, we kind of want to deconstruct everything that's, like, institutional. We don't want to go back. But it's built on reason, which is the rise of, like, modernism. You've heard the, like, enlightenment, which is all about reason, science, facts, and that's kind of a very uh, dominant frame. our culture you hear like people say trust the science which is a good thing and as a rise against that postmodernism has said like truth isn't a thing it's all about my experience let's like deconstruct the whole system um let's like overthrow patriarchy and all those sort of things and that's kind of our, our our culture at the moment those two things in competition the reason and the experience. You'll notice this everywhere. Politics, you'll notice it in conversations. It's like this tension between these two things. Um, and most people want to say one or the other is correct. It's the science or it's the story. But I think actually the biblical way forward is to recapture all of these things, not just the reason very good thing to have intellect and think logically about things, not just your experience, very important to know your own story, know your own trauma, know, know what's going on in your own life, but to recapture tradition, how do we connect to how the church has thought about things through the generations, how do we connect to other church traditions, and scripture as authoritative. So I just want to take you through this really quickly in that Mark 16 verse it talks us to pick up snakes, and drink poison. To go through this quadrilateral, the scripture says you should drink poison, right? When we read scripture, we always interpret scripture with other scripture, So, it's always important to say, what does the rest of the Bible say? Right? So, that's one part of it when we're interpreting a verse like that. The second part of it is reason. Thank you, Steve. So, it's pretty logical to say drinking poison isn't a good thing, right? It's good to use our brains. God gave us brains for a reason. It's good to use them. Then there's experience. We can say, old mate Daryl drank poison the other week and he's not looking too good. And then there's tradition. How has the church interpreted this verse? What do the scholars say? What do the theologians say? What does that other church tradition say? And all these things working together gets us to a healthy place in reading the Scripture. And people get a bit prickly about this thing because, like, a lot of people want to say, you know, like, I I stand on Scripture alone. I don't want to use my story. I don't want to use just my experience. I want to, like, just believe the Bible. Um, But we're all doing this in some form or another. And it's important just to name it and to put things in their right place. Our brain is really good in its right place. Our story is really good in its right place. The community of God and different traditions and different streams of church are good in their right place. And scripture is good in its right place. Our culture really wants to do away with scripture and tradition. C.S. Lewis has this great idea. He says that we uh, live by this idea of chronological snubber- snobbery, chronological snobbery, which means that we think we're smarter than generations that have gone past is a very like, prevalent thing. Like we think we're like, just a little bit Smarter than like who, who's gone past? We think we know a little bit more, and it's true in a general sense. Like as humans, we know a lot more, but as people, there's actually this study done um, in Norway seven and a half thousand people, uh, seven hundred thirty thousand people from the nineteen seventies to now, and um, IQ rates are going down. So chances are, like you're 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 dumber than your parents. Um, <laughs> Which, which is funny, right? Because it's just like, we, we just kind of think that we know better. We think that we are smarter than those who are going past. And we think about people in the 1500s, in the dark ages, or 1200s, or 800. We just think they're so primitive and they've got no idea. But research actually tells us that they're probably smarter than us. Because their brains aren't fried by phones, right? And social media and TikTok. Scripture, reason, experience, tradition. We've got to put these things back in their right place. And my challenge to you is to put the authority of Scripture in its right place. You might think that you actually follow the Bible, but what you're doing more often than not is just following tradition, like what is the church doing? What does Ben say? What does that other person say? What did I grow up with? And the only only way to put Scripture back in its rightful place of authority is to have a regular practice of reading it for ourselves. It's important to hear what others are saying. It's important to use our brain. It's important to use our experience. But unless we have our own practice of engaging with Scripture, reading and reflecting in Scripture, then actually the authority of Scripture is not in its right place because we must let it seek into our bones. We must, like, mull over it and let it shape us and change us. So um, there was a study done, the Reveal Survey. It's the largest study that's ever been done on people's spiritual growth. And they found there are kind of four... I'm landing here. The band can come back up. There are four different um, stages of, of spiritual growth. There's those that are exploring Jesus, those that are growing in Jesus, those that are close to Jesus, and those who are Jesus-centered. Um, but what they were doing is, is finding out, like, what spiritual habits and practices are good for people at different stages. Someone who's, like, just became a Christian or someone who's been a, a Christian for 40 years. What are the different habits that help people at every stage? And there was only one habit that was consistent across every stage, and it was reading and reflecting on Scripture. And so one thing that will catalyze your growth in your love of God and love of people is actually having a regular practice of reading Scripture for yourself at any stage, no matter whether you feel really close to God or really far away from God. The one thing that can change your relationship with God, particularly in 2022, as we look to a new year, is actually finding a habit of reading scripture for yourself. And so I want to invite you, maybe you've never actually had a real habit of reading the Bible, we have this Bible reading plan, it's starting on February 1, and it's on the YouVersion app, and we'll have a bunch of people doing it. It's about five minutes of reading a day, it's just the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs in a year, not very much reading, but you get to read it every day with people, and you get to comment, you get to see what other people are saying, and for me, we've done it the last two years. It is the thing that's helped me most have a regular daily practice of, of engaging in Scripture. I've been a pastor for a long time, but it's, it's always been hard for me to get a, like a regular, everyday practice. I read it every couple of days or whatever. But the last two years, it's been so good because I've been in this community of people, this group doing it together. So that would be my one invitation to you. You can sign up for that on the QR code um, that's in front of you on the seats. But if you're really serious about following Jesus, then we need to get serious about this book. Thinking about it, wrestling with it, arguing with it, working out the tensions, trying to find how it fits into our world, how it reshapes us. It's not an easy thing to do. There's lots of context. It's it's a book written thousands of years ago. It's in a different language. It's hard to understand, but that's why we do it together in community. We let it shape us. This thing is alive and active. God breathed just like the person next to you. So Father, I pray that you would help us put the authority of your word back in its rightful place. God, I pray that this would be a year where people would be unleashed to your story. God, I pray a spirit of being shaped by your word this year for our community here. We don't want just want to play church. The last two years has, has taught us that more than anything. Don't we don't just want to go through the motions. We want to know you. We need your spirit, we need you to guide our steps. We need you to help shape us. We don't just want to sell out to the Australian dream. Get more followers on Instagram. Buy a house. Have a few kids. Try and get the approval of those around us. Get one step up the ladder in our career. This world is fragmentating. It's disintegrating. It's falling apart. It's eating itself. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you to remake us, to reshape us. We need your story to guide us. So would you help us submit ourselves to the authority you would.